Welcome to the 360T Podcast, a series that features top industry professionals offering unique insights regarding how the FX market is developing around us. Hello and welcome to the podcast with myself, Galen Stops from 360T. And I'm delighted to be joined today by Ian Campbell, a treasurer at TT International. Ian, thanks for joining us today. My pleasure. So to start us off, You've been at your current company, TT International, for some time now. 22 years, is that correct? Uh, yeah, sounds about right, yeah. Uh, well, firstly, uh, congratulations on your longevity, if, uh, if nothing else. That's quite an achievement to be anywhere that long. The thing I wanted to ask to start us off with is, you've obviously been at the company for some time now. How has technology changed the way that you trade FX there over this period of time? Yeah, it's certainly uh, evolved a lot in the early days very much voice-only trading, and we're talking, the very start of that, we're still talking about paper blotters, photocopies, not even an order management system in the way that you would recognize today, although that did arrive pretty shortly after I'd started. Certainly, you know, single bank electronic trading facilities were pretty commonplace. FX Connect was one of the very first multi-bank systems back in those days, and it had some very useful features, but also had a few um, shortcomings. So over that time, we generally traded voice for a lot of our business for a long, long time, and it served us reasonably well until the technology evolved to the kind of multi-bank platform that we can see today in 360T. So it's definitely evolved. I think the big difference is you've got a lot more variation in how you can handle different types of orders because there's obviously a, you know, a big difference between small tidying up trades and you know, really quite enormous tickets for you know, hedging or um, big changes. And yeah, I think the technology really helps manage that and pretty invaluable. I don't think we could go back to the status that we had 20 odd years ago, that's for sure. I would agree with you there. One of the things you kind of discussed there, and certainly we've seen over this past 20-year period, has been this shift from voice towards more electronic channels. Do you think that the voice still has a role and or an important role today in FX trading? Yes, I think the larger the size, the more important it still is. Basically, if you find smaller to mid-sized tickets are best served electronically, there's no doubt. Uh, particularly when you can use that kind of pricing discovery by having orders and competition across a, a range of different liquidity providers. I think that's pretty essential these days for the kind of insight into the market that the, the regulators and the clients want us to demonstrate that we're going that extra mile with things like MIFID 2 and these type of pieces of legislation. If not in the letter of the law, it's certainly in the spirit of the law to go that extra mile in terms of execution. And certainly putting those smaller orders and proving that you've got the very best price is very useful. Voice, I think, still comes into its own when you are getting above certain sizes of block trades. I say particularly hedging orders or something that's involving maybe there's actually a cross-currency trade, trade that's actually better done through dollar legs or something that's very unusual if it doesn't happen all the time. But then voice still serves us very well. And also in some of the currency pairs which are highly restricted and you're talking about NDF markets as opposed to regular spots and outright and, and swap markets where you know, the streaming is generally pretty good electronically up until a certain kind of notional size where it can sort of fall apart a little bit. 
so yeah, I think it still has a role. I know some people have started to use algos and other kinds of solutions. And of course, might use fixing rates to do, you know, very large tickets. And that's something that I'm not too keen on. <laughs> well, um, why not? Well, I think given the, the sort of stink from the sort of fixing crisis. Yeah. I know obviously the banks have cleaned up their act completely, but it still feels as if I mean, the whole system has kind of came about because people, particularly fund managers and equity bond markets, just wanted to sort of wish away FX as being any, any part of the, their risk profile. So yeah. as somebody who is primarily a, a currency specialist, I'd like to feel that we can add a little bit more value than just wondering where this thing's going to be between, you know, 4 and 401 or whatever exact parameters might be these days, I think we can do a little better than that and handheld these orders and hopefully we'll, we'll add value more often than we don't. One thing that we've seen that's been a consistent trend across the BIS surveys in recent years has been that EM currencies as a percentage of the overall FX market have been growing. As they've become a, a larger piece of the pie, has it got easier to trade these currencies as their prominence has risen in the market? Yeah, and uh, you know, EM currencies are an increasingly large part of our AUM. Yeah, I think generally they have become more liquid. I'd say in the last decade, I haven't got numbers, but my feel for it would suggest in the last decade, EM has become more liquid than it was before. Probably developed market has probably become slightly less liquid than it was in the, in the 10 years before that. You really had the sort of heyday of FX, CTAs and people like that are really providing enormous volumes in developed markets in the, in the noughties. That's maybe still around, but not quite to the same extent. And I think EM has certainly become a bigger growth area. I think, yeah, some, some pairs are easier to trade. But, you know, when something's an NDF and something is a restricted spot market, and most of our products, all of our products, I should say, are alpha generating active equity focused products and you know the fx we do is either to finance that or to hedge it or to overlay it in some other way and we need to move money from a to b and the frustrating thing is that still so much of the market in emerging markets is riddled with restrictions and you're effectively relying on different clients custodial arrangements and then sub-custodial arrangements to finance a whole range of different local markets some of them are pretty idiosyncratic pretty archaic and aren't really suitable or aren't easily compatible with you know having a situation where you want to move your money out of india and into brazil so you've got very strange things like you know russian local market for non-domestic the international world trades in dollars rather than rubles it's all fine you have the quirks of India. Yes, it is possible. If you go through an awful lot of regulatory sort of sign-off work, the Indian authorities will allow clients to trade in the local Indian market. However, if you're, again, an international client, you have to pre-fund one day earlier than that's going to settle a domestic market. And if it's a sale, you're only going to get your money one day later than that. Sounds complicated. It does get incredibly complicated. And that's without starting, you know, happy a dollar holiday or some other thing that really creates a lot of difficulty. So, 
Yeah, I think that's probably a frustration. You know, there are some RAND, MEX in particular, are decent. Um, you know, you can get decent liquidity in those currencies because they are freely deliverable and relatively far more open economies and, uh, and capital markets. You know, it would be a dream in the future for India, Russia, Brazil to step down that route. I guess, uh, you know, credit waves through China is, have made enormous strides in that direction. But again, some of their ideas, you know, things like equities settling on the same day and things like that are not particularly helpful or compatible with, you know, the rest of the world's payment systems. So, yeah, yeah there's work to be done there. Stepping away from EM specifically, what are the major barriers that you see or encounter today that prevent more innovation in FX? I think those restrictions and regulations in some of those countries makes it very frustrating. I think that would be a big, big game changer. That's not the direction the world is traveling now, of more cooperation and more international systems, but that would be pretty useful. And the other thing I think is the regulatory burden has been such that, you know, it really does slow down some of that innovation. The NDF has been a good example. because I think the banks are understandably pretty paranoid about trading for an account that shouldn't or all of these kind of things. The legal side, it was pretty difficult years ago to get lines in place. Yeah. Now it just seems to be almost impossible. Uh, and you've got sort of bespoke ISDAs and bespoke this and that and the other. And I think that does get in the way because you only need a few boxes missing at different banks and then the whole system kind of falls apart. What you really want with all of these technology solutions is for it to be working and not be sort of hindered by a kind of bureaucracy that can't cope with the sort of the onslaught that the industry's faced. You know, a lot of, a lot of the rules have, have a lot of merit and the, for understandable reasons. You know, nobody wants to be financing terrorists or I mean, money laundering. Also, I mean, you know, looking out for that stuff is absolutely essential. Yeah. But I think it'd be lovely to have a sort of regulatory hiatus and, you know, if they could all just get together and just review things and then agree not to have anything, any new initiatives for five years until we can try to really think about some of the things that have come in the last 10 years plus. Are they really essential? But there's an awful lot of duplication and it's like, you know, trying to run through treacle. I think that's probably the biggest side of things. I guess maybe it is a lot more complicated for banks to be quoting live prices and size in NDS markets too. I think that's probably fair. But yeah, I think if some of those regulations fell away, that would be enormously helpful. Stepping away from the fun topic of regulation to the um, equally fun topic of the pandemic, don't want to make this uh, a pandemic-focused interview, but I want to end on a related note because it is kind of the elephant in the room slightly. Everyone's pretty settled into a routine at this point. You know, everybody's got their work-from-home setups or some people starting to go back into the office. But I'm curious, are there any changes that you've made as a result of the pandemic to your trading operations or business that you think will continue in the future, regardless of whether things go back to, you know, quote-unquote normal or not? No, I don't think it's really changed too much in how we execute our business. Obviously, the location has changed. It does mean that you know, our capability of working from home is obviously far better than it was. And I think that will prove useful. Things like being able to deal with things in American hours, LATAM hours, becomes a lot easier. And I don't think we're going to rush to dismantle that capability. 
And also things like those awkward bank holidays or half days, Christmas Eve that nobody really wants to have to trudge into the office for <laughs> a half day and on a train that doesn't turn up. You know, so that definitely will change. We're looking to upgrade our phones system so that we can get that same sort of access to voice to be able to talk to the cell side on phone. At the moment, we can do that on our iPhones, but it's obviously not as good as it could be. But yeah, I mean, I think I've been very pleased that most of the trading's continued electronically with few incidents, really. And it's shown how robust it is. It shows that basically what the world needs is more than anything else. Is, well, other than a vaccine, what the world needs <laughs> is probably bigger and better broadband everywhere, I think. <laughs> I'm sure that life will return in some way, shape or form in offices. But whether or not people need quite the same size offices that they once did, maybe that will never be the same. But only time will tell. Indeed. And on that note, we'll wrap it up there. Ian... Thank you so much for a really insightful discussion and uh, hopefully we'll have you back on the podcast again sometime in the future. It's been a pleasure. I look forward to it. Thank you for listening to the 360T podcast. Check the 360T website to catch up on past episodes and find new listings.